Welcome to Slice of Orange. I'm Jenny Ballman. Today I'm talking with Dr. Kathleen Tresseter. She's a candidate for City Council of Irvine. She's a professor of biology at University of California, Irvine. In 2017, she became a leader in the fight to make UCI a safer place for women and has since founded and funded the Tresseter Randerson Fund to support women and marginalized groups in Orange County. I talked to her about how college students can access those resources through Crime Survivors Orange County. She's known for her local environmental leadership, combating climate change and pollution. She co-founded the Orange County Clean Power, a grassroots organization of over 30 nonprofits, businesses, school organizations, and faith groups. And she talks to us about how local decisions can really turn back the growing climate crisis that we have. Um, as a city of Irvine Green Ribbon Committee member, she's led the charge to reduce plastic litter and air pollution in the city, and she hopes to do even more if elected to the Irvine City Council. So let's get started. Welcome to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, and I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Tresseter, for, um, who's a candidate for Irvine City Council. So welcome. Hi, it's good to be here. Great. So in addition to running, you are also a professor at UC Irvine. And so I want to talk a little bit about your bio and your career, and then we'll switch over to what you're doing for Irvine City Council. Great. So how did you get started? What do you teach? What do you research? What's your lab like? And what what is life like at UC Irvine? Yeah, well, I have always really liked science, and I got into it in college. And um, when I was undergrad, I was really lucky. My professor, she did uh, restoration work in the tropics in Borneo. And so I asked her if I could go help her with her work over there. So she sent me over there for a summer. And wow. yeah, it was quite an experience. I was just a girl growing up in Utah, hadn't really left the state very much. And then here I am going across in, the world. Wow. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. So and what was that work like? What What were you doing there? Well, what we were doing was um, we were looking at forests that have been recently logged. And so you can imagine um, the forests are so ancient and and so um, the trees are so old. If you stand at the bottom of the forest and look up, you can't even see the tops of the trees. We had to use binoculars to see the tops of the trees. So they're just really amazing. Um, You know, they were logging them. And so what we would do is soon after the company would log the forest, we would go in and we would plant these trees that were growing really fast. And um, the idea was that they could grow really fast there and then they would provide shade to the Mm -hmm. other like more majestic trees that would come in later. And so, yeah, so it was really great. I, I enjoyed it so much. Um, and I really got a sense for, you know, how much work it takes to really restore these ecosystems and care for them. And I love that you got such practical experience with what we usually read in textbooks yeah. and, and hear from lectures. That's transformational. Exactly. Yeah, it was just like the, you know, you watch the nature documentaries. It was just right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so then where does that take you in your career? When do you decide to get a doctorate? What? How do you get to UCI? Well, I just decided that I wanted to spend my career caring for ecosystems and trying to make sure that they could survive and thrive and all that, um, especially with climate change. Uh, climate change was just really um, starting to be part of the national conscious and consciousness. 
And so I decided to go into that for my career. I ended up going to Stanford University for my PhD. I worked in the Hawaiian rainforest there. And then about that time, I realized that, and this is not very glamorous, I realized that fungi (laughs) were really understudied, very important parts of the ecosystem could be very helpful for us Mm -hmm. in combating climate change and helping ecosystems restore. Um, And so I decided to work on fungi and I've been working on that for my whole career since then. It's been about 25 years. I've been at UCI since 2003. Yeah, I work in ecosystems all around the world, any ecosystems that are endangered by climate change. So that includes our ecosystems here, the coastal sage scrub, because we have lots of forest fires. And then we also have some projects up in um, Northern California with the giant redwoods because they're also experiencing fires. Right. And then I've also worked in the cloud forest in Costa Rica and uh, the Northern forest in Alaska. It's just, it's a great job. It's amazing. And so what's the most exciting thing happening in your lab or your classroom right now? Yeah. Well, um, tell us the exciting things yeah. in the world of fungi. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, well, what happened, you know, you may remember last year we had a, a reasonably big oil spill in um, yeah, Huntington off Beach. Off the coast. Yeah, right. off the coast. And um, we, you know, we, I heard about it just as it was happening. It just so happened that one of my graduate students, so he's working on his PhD, his very first day <laughs> at UCI uh, was that day where there's oil oh, spill. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I said, okay, this is really important here. This is an example of global change. Um, What I'd like you to do is get started right away, go to the oil spill, figure out, you know, get some samples, figure out how the oil spill is affecting the coastal ecosystem Mm -hmm. and then track, track the coastal ecosystem afterwards to see how it recovers. And so it works out really well. We actually partnered with the city of Huntington Beach they were taking a bunch of water samples um, right. to test for oil. And we just, you know, followed right there with them and took samples for our own analyses. That's amazing. Yeah. I love when we can get, you know, the, the, the partnerships with the agencies yeah. And, yeah. and get our students really on the ground. I think it's incredible partnerships that we, we can have. So that's amazing. So you first came to my attention because, of course, the Me Too movement yeah. was around and our students from Fullerton College transferred to UCI. Yeah. And, and, and you were really on the front lines of that. And, and it's something that concerns all of us about women in STEM. We need diversity uh, in, in our science, in our research. And, and when we hear these stories about discrimination, about sexism, about harassment, it, it has a chilling effect for, for yeah. recruitment and for the students who are coming into the program. So yeah. we've seen more and more people speak out about sexual harassment on college campuses. And you had that experience. Yeah. What, what did you learn fr- from being brave enough mm-hmm. to speak out? And, and then also... The, the lessons that you might impart to other people who are thinking about it. Well, Cause, cause this yeah. is uh, to, to give the background. I mean, it, it, it was a very prominent and powerful man at UCI. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, I was chair of my department and one of the faculty members in the department, he uh, he's very wealthy. So he's one of the major donors to UCI, maybe the major donor, um, and he had his name on our school. Um, it was, you know, the such, such and such school of biological sciences. His name was on our science mm-hmm. library, uh, also famous for his research. 
And, uh, you know, he had a, he had a reputation that was well earned for not treating women very well. And, you know, I was chair and, you know, one day, uh, uh, one of my students came in from the department. Um, she's a, a young, uh, Latinx student. And she told me that this faculty member had sexually assaulted her over the weekend. And so mm -hmm. I just said, I, you know, I don't care how powerful this guy is. This, this has to stop. And I'm right. going to make sure that UCI doesn't allow this to happen again. And just for background um, in the sciences, the sciences have the second highest rate of sexual harassment after the military. Um, there are so many men in the sciences and it's, it's, when I was starting, um, I would see, you know, the faculty, so when I was a student, I would see the mm -hmm. faculty and see, oh, there are not very many women on the faculty, must be some sort of historical, you know, legacy. But, you know, I look around and all the other students that I was with, you know, half of them are women. So, okay, that will change by the time I get up there. But now, you know, I look around and the women have disappeared. Like, it's still the same. Like, there's still so many men and not very many women. And this is this is one of the reasons why there are many, but this is one of them. It is one of the reasons. Yeah. And you think about how many past faculty and students were victims yes. of that culture and harassment and assault. And, and it went unanswered because of his power. It went right. unanswered it because of the fear of retribution. Exactly. Um, and, and so, so it's not all candy and roses that everyone applauds when you come no. forward. What what was the what was the response? It was so so, and, and hopefully there were some people who surprised <laughs> you in being supportive. But yeah. I, I imagine the story is as old as time that there were some yeah. people who you thought yeah. would be supportive who weren't. So yeah, I have to say, so we we fought for a year to get UCI to take care of this guy, and they ended up removing him from school. Um, and like ultimately 18 victims came forward and I was one of them. He had been harassing me for more than a decade. And I just thought it was just me. <laughs> you know, I didn't say anything. Nobody talks about it. Right. So, yeah. So one of the things that we stipulated that we wanted UCI to do was to actually issue a, an announcement why they were removing him. Because usually what happens in these cases is that the person just goes to the next university and we don't want Correct. that to happen. So, and, and we also asked to be named and, you know, we each had our own reasons, but so that went out. It was, that ended up being international news and, um, you know, we, the, the four main victims, we were all named. Mm -hmm. um, it got a lot of attention. And so a lot of things happened that I, that I didn't expect from that. I mean, I thought I knew because I had seen other sure. cases, like this. but the, first of all, I did get like overwhelming support. Um, I have to say, like um, from my colleagues and from social media and, and all that, people seemed like they got it, that it, it must yeah. be really bad for this right. to happen. So that was great. Another thing that happened was that I got so many emails from other women uh, around the world, mostly in science, but sometimes in other careers, who told me their own stories yes. about sexual harassment in their jobs. And it was heartbreaking. Um they were, they felt alone. They didn't yes. know who else to reach out to. And I, and usually the victims are not named. And so they had someone to contact and tell right. me. 
And so I just realized how, you know, how widespread it really is. Um, Absolutely. And how much it affects, how much it affects the, the people who experience it. So it, that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there was a very small minority of people who um, maybe they were feeling like their own behaviors were being judged by this news and they reacted very uh, aggressively uh, mm-hmm. and negatively. So there was that. And then there was a group of people who um, I would normally have thought of as allies or friends or, or whatever, but seems to align more with the um, perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And that is what that last group of people is what really, really hurt. Right. Really hurt. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it is disappointing and disheartening when the people that you expect to show up um, side with the perpetrator and, and yeah. forgive an excuse, right. All yeah. of, all of those mm-hmm. you know, yeah, excuses you know. of he never did it to me. And yes. all of those things <laughs> you start to hear of. Yeah. So yeah. What advice, yeah. What advice would you give to college students who experience this kind of behavior, particularly in science? Yeah. Because I, I think that there is a, a lot like the military, this culture of acceptance yeah. of, and- of bad behavior. Yeah. And so under the, under the guise of rigor, under the guise of gatekeeping, <laughs> under the guise of the, the culture of our organization. Yeah. It's so easy to excuse it. I mean, it that's is. just the easiest thing. Cause then you don't have to do anything about then it. You don't have and to do anything. Doing, doing something about it is really hard. Right. So what, the advice I give them is first of all, that it's not your fault. A lot of times people will say, okay, I had just not said that one thing or, you know, whatever. Yes. And they're told that they're told that. Um, so, so it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This was wrong. It shouldn't right. be happening. Um, right. and also you're not alone that there are many other people in your situation. And actually, so one of the things that I did was I, I was really struggling with this. Like, what do I tell other people? Because you could say, well, go to the university. They'll take care of it, but they don't. <laughs> they don't. They're they're looking after their own interests, and a right. lot of times that includes doing minimal um, right. intervention. So I, I don't really want to say that. I what I wanted to say is, yeah, hire a lawyer. Make sure that you have an advocate. So you want someone in your corner um, that you can a hundred percent know that they're not conflicted and they're looking out for you. Uh, now, in my case, we had a higher lawyer. It was very daunting. I know I was worried that we would have to pay a sure. lot of money and all that. Um, so what I ended up doing was I um, started a, a I started a foundation, a foundation fund, and um, I ended up getting a, a reasonably large settlement from UCI for this. So I put that money into this nonprofit fund. And I use that fund to partner with Crime Survivors, which is a nonprofit here in, amazing. Yeah, in Orange County. Yeah. And they developed a program for college students in this position. So a college student in your campus, yes. any campus in OC, if they're experiencing anything like this, they can go to Crime Survivors. Crime Survivors will um, help you get an initial interview with a lawyer so that you won't be charged with it. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll also, you know, they have some ideas of how the campuses work. And so they can help shepherd you through the process. They can stand by your side and help if you want to make a public announcement 
provide a lot of emotional support. And I, I feel really good about that. I feel good that that is in place because it is a need that extends like far beyond my department or my campus. Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, I mean, Title IX, we have a federal law that protects everyone from discrimination, that you have a legal right to an education. Yeah. Um, free from discrimination. And the fact that we had to make a law that says that yeah. shows you the, the, the problem. Um, yeah. Lots of campuses have great Title IX advocates. Um, since your case, I know that UCI uh, has hired some great Title IX advocates who yeah. would be really good to talk to, but not every campus has that. Yes. Um, and so if you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're going to your Title IX office and you're not getting answers and you're not getting advocacy, absolutely. We'll put it in the show notes, share it with your friends um, and family. The Crime Survivors Foundation is incredible. So thank you. Thank you for that. And and I and I think that's one thing that I've heard over and over from um, survivors of, of sexual assault is just the pain at forward ethos of wanting to make sure nobody else ever yeah. has to suffer through this. Yeah, it's true. It's so, true. so let's pivot and talk right. about what you want to do for the city of Irvine. Yeah. How does it come up that you're even thinking about running for yeah. city council? So let, let me tell you, it is, um, not in my nature to run for office. I'm a scientist. I'm like the stereotypical scientist who is shy and just wants to keep their head down and do their research in the lab. And I just, and I don't like attention, but um, I decided to run, I feel like I'm really compelled to do it. And one of the reasons is because of that me too experience. Um, You know, I, I, I talked about how, you know, the majority of people were very supportive. I had some Mm -hmm. people who were who are pretty threatening. Um, one of the things that I learned, uh, and it, it, it changed, it changed, I think who I am and how I look at the world. But one of the things I learned is that like, if you are, if you are feeling vulnerable and you ask people for help, people will help. Even people who don't know you at all, don't know anything about you, um, you know, maybe they're, uh, you know, halfway around the world right. they might learn about your, your case and, and want to help. And so, and I, and I felt that, like, I, I felt overwhelmingly that people really do care and really want to help other people. And it, it, it ended up making me feel very, um, very grateful to the mm-hmm. community at large and wanting, like, I wanted to pay back. So mm-hmm. just like you mentioned, so, um, there, you know, there are a lot of things that are happening locally that I really care a lot about. And that I feel like I could help the community with. And so one of them is climate change. Now I study climate change, as you know, so I think about it a lot. Right. Um, you know, I see the data that are coming out and the projections for future climate change. And I'm very, very worried. I'm genuinely worried um, right. about, um, kids, uh, you know, you know, kids that are my kids' age during their lifetime. Right. I'm not sure they're going to have a livable climate everywhere. So, um, so I decided, you know, time is running out. I, I was hoping that there would be enough political policy, enough climate policy to deal with the situation by now. Mm-hmm. But there's not. So I decided to take a bit of time away from my job, which I love, um, to advocate for climate action. Mm-hmm. And 
the local level, I think is the best place to do that. City officials have so much power to enact these climate actions. Um, so that's why I want to run. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's one of the things we've been talking about, you know, with so many people that I know is, you know, we've, we've got to, we've got to make it concrete of climate change is on the ballot in your city council, climate yeah. change is on the ballot in your school district. I just was reading about, um, you know, painting asphalt, different colors to yeah. reduce the temperature in hot times. Exactly. Like the school district can do that. Yes. But we yeah. have to have school school board members who know that exactly. we can reduce police brutality when the city council hires police chiefs that yes. absolutely do not tolerate police brutality on their force. So yeah. so these local offices that are often forgotten in civics classes, often forgotten by the newspapers, often forgotten definitely by television media yeah. has a huge, huge opportunity to make positive change that we can see that yeah. we can show up at public comments and we can talk to our council yes. members in our community, run into them at the grocery store um, and little league games and rotary meetings and all of these places that we can see and affect change. And I think that's finally part of our conversation. Yes. And what we're seeing is candidates like you who never wanted to be politicians, <laughs> who never wanted to run, who are stepping up because of their policy expertise. Yeah, and it's it's really good to see. I mean, I have to say, I because now that I'm in this world, I see there are candidates in cities all across Orange County who are in similar positions. There, there are moms who just really care about their kids' schools, so they're running for school board. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Who have you discovered? Uh, to put you on the spot, if you want to give some yeah. shout outs to people that should be identified. I don't cover much yeah. more than North Orange County, but I wanted to talk to you because of the UCI connection. But if you yeah. know people in South Orange County that, that might need a little help of name yes. recognition. <laughs> well, there's Rudy Hubner. She's running for Fountain Valley City Council. And she's just amazing. She just, she, she's running. She really, really cares about the community and wants yeah. to be out there. Um, there's Stephanie Otto, who's running for, I believe, Laguna Niguel City Council. Again, same situation. She's out there every day walking on doors just because she really wants to help the mm-hmm. residents. And so it's really, it's just really good to see. So what would you do if you were elected? What can yeah. we expect? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, first of all, just my grounding principle is that I want to help people in the community who are most vulnerable, just in general. And so, you know, my main platform is climate action. And so in that case, I really want to advocate for what are called environmental justice communities in Irvine. So environmental justice communities are communities that are disproportionately affected by um, harms in the environment, like pollution, heat waves, climate change, and stuff like that. So the state actually designates certain communities as environmental justice communities, and we have some here in Irvine. So I want to make sure, first of all, that we enact uh, climate plans with real, real, like on the ground uh, results. And that as we do that, we center these communities to make sure uh, if these communities are taken care of, we make sure that they are not exposed to pollution the way they have been and, and so forth. That will not only help them, 
but also help all the rest of us. Because if you if you help the most vulnerable members there, anything um, that you do will also help other people as well. Right. And so, yeah, so that's what I want to do. And there's just really straightforward things that the city could do, as you mentioned, like planting more trees. Trees actually cool down an area. They provide shade. They make places right. more livable. Um, we have trees in a lot of the older parts of Irvine, but not in the newer parts. Just stuff like that. Bikeable, walkable neighborhoods so that kids can ride to school every day without their parents worrying about them right. um, being hit by a car. And then that way it reduces mileage travel, just all sorts of stuff like that. EV charging stations in areas where right now people can't have EVs because they live, right. say, in an apartment complex and they have right. no place to plug their cars in. So things like that, um, the city absolutely has control over, and it it can be very fiscally responsible. And if we're thoughtful about it, um, you know, we should do it. There's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. And then beyond, what are you learning from the people? What do you what have you learned from walking on the doors? And it's always such an interesting transformation yeah. when you when you're talking to people in yeah. a different level. Yeah, so I've been knocking on a lot of doors for the campaign. And um, I have to say people have, you know, each person has their own point of view and their interests. The um, the most common complaints I hear about the city, um, and this might not surprise anybody, but the traffic, <laughs> the traffic is really, the traffic sure. is really bad here. I mean, it's bad a lot of places, but sure. We, um, you know, the city's actually increased in size 40% in the past 10 years. And so, yeah, so it's just very hard to make sure the traffic system keeps up. So traffic, and then I never expect this, but people really hate the gas powered leaf blowers. Oh my gosh, people just hate that. And in Irvine, I can see the place is very well manicured. They're everywhere. Yeah. And so you're asking me to those. Now, there are other issues that I, you know, I wouldn't um, hear about by just knocking on doors. And that is that the housing prices are so high here. I think the median housing price in Irvine now is a million dollars. Right. So I am not hearing from all the people who can't afford to live in Irvine. So Correct. we have Correct. a lot of people here who are service workers, teachers, um, right. Firefighters, the police, the police who serve Irvine mm-hmm. cannot afford to live here. Right. And so that's something that um, people really do care about and think about, um, but is not evident from necessarily talking to current residents. Right. Well, and you, you usually don't uh, discover what a big problem that is until there's a crisis. Right. Now, I remember the Santa Barbara fires and they realized that so many of their firefighters couldn't afford to live there. And so they yeah. were out of the area and couldn't get to Santa oh. Barbara to help fight the fire because the roads were impossible. See? And, yeah. And, and so that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. You want to have the people who you really need day to day to be right. living in that area. And for no other reason, right. it's just a, it's a moral position like we are asking for service from people Mm -hmm. taking care of our kids loving our kids and then we don't want to turn around and say oh but we don't really care whether you live here or not right right or how long your commute is yeah or how long your commute is which is awful or what your living conditions are whether yeah close yeah exactly so good so what's the final message you want to send out to potential Um, voters in Irvine 
just that um, if you vote for me, I will work for you. I'll work for you, only you. I am not interested in dealing with special interests like developers. That's not why I'm running. I'm running to help people. I'm, you know, I'm sacrificing my job, which I love to help people. So if you vote for me, then you can count on me to listen to you and to work with you to make sure that your lives are better. That's a great message. So I have some end of the show questions just to get to know you a little bit better. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? The best advice I've ever gotten was from my dad. And um, it was, I was like 10. Dads are the best. Yeah, I was 10 and I was making lunch for myself. And I asked my dad, I don't know, I haven't had a hard time choosing. Should I have pastrami sandwich or turkey sandwich? And he said, well, you know, whenever I have a choice between two things, I usually will try to pick the thing that I haven't really experienced before and to really, you know, you know, enjoy that and try it out. So why don't you try the pastrami? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try the pastrami. And, um, but uh, yeah, I like the pastrami, but I mean, I just, I just find that such good advice. Like, why I, I not? love that something he probably never even thought about for more than that minute yeah. <laughs> influenced your life of trying new things. Yeah, exactly. And so, it, yeah. I mean, it even comes down to running for office. It's like, well, I'm really far out of my comfort zone here, but I think it's really important and I want to try it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and what's a book you like to recommend to people? Um, oh, let me think. I like so many books, but well, I like science fiction. Um, but there's, so there's this one author, Neil Stephenson, and it's called, um, the book is called, um, the diamond age or a young girl's girl's guide to something etiquette. I forget. Um, anyway, it's great. I, I just really recommend it. That's fun. Uh, and a hopeful message you want to share for listeners. Oh, just that, you know, I know a lot of people feel really dejected and hopeless about climate change. And I often do. Yeah, I often do. Yeah, I I definitely. When when fire becomes a season in the state of California, it it, it's a tipping point. Exactly. Um, But I tell people, you know, we change the climate one way we can change it back. I mean, we actually have a lot more control over the atmosphere than we would think. And it's, it's absolutely possible. It's a hundred percent possible for us to stop the climate change right now and then Mm -hmm. reverse it over time. Um, It just requires the, the political will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And who else should we know in the community? Um, well, we, okay. So I am on a slate with a few, um, really strong, amazing women who I trust to make the right decisions. And so one is Katie Porter. So I don't think I need to introduce her. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then another one is Katrina Foley. She is running for OC board of supervisors and she cares a lot about the environment. She had a very thoughtful scientific approach to COVID. I'm sure that many people are alive today because she was on the board of supervisors. Yeah, she's done an amazing job. And she's in a tight race. Um, That race will decide the the majority control of the Orange County Board of Supervisors for 3.2 million of us. That, Um, yeah, that crucial race. It it might really, really change the county. As you said, local officials have so much control. They have an $8.5 billion budget. 
imagine how much good $8.5 billion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and really some, some visionary uh, ideas out of Katrina Foley that have been fun to watch. She's great. Yeah. And then, um, and Cotty Petrie Norris is the other person. I think also very good with the environment. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a great crew. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the things I really enjoy watching about um, women in politics is that they have been front and center with yeah. their their support networks and their allies and um, really amplifying what other people are doing in a wonderful, wonderful way. So great. thank you. I really appreciated having a chance to talk to you. All right. Thanks. It was really great. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Charlotte, California and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Tisa Valiola. Um, If you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. As part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arujan Veed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.